Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today's episode is titled, Fair Play, Respect Your Own House. Our gamer guests are Mark Ulrich, IT professional, and developer John Oglesby. In pop culture today, we discuss independent gaming and a new player in the game console market. We'll also share your responses to this week's Twitter question. What do you think is having the biggest negative impact on the game industry? So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Welcome to Game On Girl. I'm Rhonda Oglesby. Regina, you pointed out a Kickstarter project that pertains to what we're discussing today. Ouya, O-U-Y-A, is an open-source gaming console proposed by game industry veteran Julie Ehrman and designer Eve Buhar. Like Ms. Ehrman, I love console gaming, but I'm unhappy with the industry. So she put together a team and then asked gamers and developers, if they agree with her, vote with their dollars. See if these quotes from Ms. Ehrman's proposal video make you want, want to jump on the bandwagon. Quote, it's open for hackers who want to tweak the box and make it their own. Now, I know that the mainstream consoles go out of their way to make sure that you can't do this, Regina. Oh, absolutely. There's there's so many protections and some of the stuff that we talk about later in this episode with the interview that we have with Mark and John, uh, we sort of touch talk around this idea, but... The big three, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, all want you just to use their programming. They don't really want you going in and messing with um, with the hardware of your console. So to have at the start of this project one of the goals to be hack it. We want you to hack it. And it, it opens it up to people being able to personalize in a way that you can't personalize other, other consoles. And it also opens it up for... Uh, community to build around that where people will i'm sure post hey i did this with mine and hey i did this with mine and maybe you guys can try this out and if you want to do this do this and it's going to have that open source you know feel to it where there's a community that builds around using the console as opposed to just gaming on the console yeah that is definitely i can see that definitely as a bonus is because the improvements will come from a massive number of creators instead of just a small pool. Right. Um, But I guess, you know, I never have really seen what the big deal is with uh, Sony and them locking down their machines. Mm -hmm. Well, it's any proprietary, you know, hardware, you know, our Apple is doing the same thing with the new MacBook Pros. You're not going to be able to swap out parts in them in any way. You're not going to be able to open and get into them and, and change anything. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous because it's just it just makes the product, you know. I, I guess they're they're heading toward the idea that it's a disposable product where when it breaks you get rid of it and you get a new one. That that doesn't seem particularly responsible in a you know, an environment where so many of us own so many gadgets and so many different things, you know, to, to have it set up so you can't actually do anything to it. Well, and if, I mean, the thing that bothers me about that the most is it, it's, I don't care how many green project products you use to make those things. Yep. If they're becoming one year or two year products yep. and as many as Apple 
for example, is putting out. Right. I mean, that that's just a landfill disaster. Right, it is. It is. I've, I've actually seen statistics about what happens in the mercury that gets in the water from the landfills, from computers, and, you know, and what ends up happening when people rip, you know, laptops apart and computers apart. And it's, and it's not, it's not conducive to our environment at all. And so creating a, a, a culture that, you know, I've had this issue with cell phones. I, every yes. cell phone I've had that has had any kind of smart capacity to it has worked beautifully for six to eight months. Yep. And then, you know, it slowly and surely degrades and degrades and degrades and degrades to the point where I have to completely reset the whole thing and, you know, wipe out whatever memory I have and reset the phone. Sometimes that doesn't do enough with the, with the BlackBerry I had before the, the phone I have right now. I reset it three times and I still Ugh. couldn't get it to make phone calls, to make oh, phone geez. calls, which is what it was, you know, intended yeah. to do. And yeah. so I, I just got to the point where it's like, I can't, I can't not have a working phone. So uh, in I go and, you know, I think it was 12 months. No, it was 14 months I had had it. I turned in the BlackBerry, got my first Android. And again, it's the same thing. Right now, I'm limping along with my Android phone because <laughs> I don't want to, you know, go pay and get another one. And I've only had it a year and a half. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's, 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 a, it's an insane culture. And, you know, I don't, I, I really think that we need to sort of reconsider how we're, how we're managing things like that. And, and Ouya opens itself up to allowing people to, to modify and tweak and, mm. and play. And I just think that that's, I mean, it, it's just going to take console gaming someplace it hasn't been. The, her next quote kind of plays into the impact of how big this is. Mm-hmm. She says, this is a big undertaking. Yep. undertaking. Effectively, we're trying to disrupt an established industry. Exactly. And, you know, they're trying to go into every everybody, all the major players all do the same things. <laughs> yeah. And the, because, it, I mean, that, that's something that always bothered me. It's like... PC and Apple computers for the longest time were completely separated by a solid black line. Mm -hmm. And then there was a little, there was a little sharing there with the software and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you try to do anything non-Apple on a, on a Mac laptop or a MacBook or anything like that, just forget it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it it chunks. And, And yeah, I have the same, I have the same issues. Yeah. I just don't, I don't see the point. And, all of that comes back on the user, mm-hmm. on the consumer. Right. You pigeonhole them, you lock them in, and you make the job on them as hard as possible. But we're in a society and we're in a business where we have to have these tools. Yeah, exactly. And, and where we need to have the, the flexibility to be able to do. I mean, think about what happened with you, Rhonda, and the, you know, the crashing of the hard drive on your, mm-hmm. on your PlayStation. And you were able to replace it. And so that that ends up being, you know, something you can continue using as it should yeah. be. You should be able to have that kind of flexibility. Exactly. And I, and I understand you know, we're sort of a culture that's become obsessed with, with who owns what. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. who owns what, who, you know, proprietary, you know, software, hardware, all these ideas. The, these are really things that we seem to be overly focused on. And as someone who works in intellectual property, because that's what I'm creating here is intellectual property, I, I understand that you don't want somebody going out and, you know, ripping off your ideas or whatnot. But at the same time, I, I there's so much value in opening up and allowing, you know, 
more creative minds to work at with what you have rather than rather than limiting and building barriers between that process and allowing people that process so yeah um, that's one of the things that that apple has sold Mm -hmm. and that's that is status. Exactly. Exactly. That that elite feeling of oh, I'm you know I'm in the smaller percentage because I'm on a MacBook instead of on a PC. And as as you know, and as we've we've discussed, I recently abandoned my my MacBook Pro, my MacBook. I you know I had had so much difficulty using it now that I was doing you know higher end things on the, on the computer, which I hadn't planned when I had bought that computer. Um, and I realized that all of the software that I was using, like Audacity <laughs> right. and other things, were all open, you know, open pro- products that I could download for free and that I could use on a PC just as easy as I could use on a Mac. So there was really no reason anymore for me to continue to have the MacBook. And so I... Yeah, the, the, the myth that the Mac is for... Uh, creatives mm-hmm. is 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 really over. Yes, it is. It is because you can do just as much creative work and just as much, you know, you and even better because the software's free and you don't get a computer that's loaded with 30 gigabytes of some software that you're probably going to use and some that you're not going to use. Yeah. Like when you do when you buy a MacBook. So, out oh, there's my little soapbox. <laughs> the frustration is not just with the, the consumers, but I th- I'm pretty sure that anyone who is creative in the industry is, is frustrated. Right. And that's kind of the call that Ms. Ehrman put out. And she says this, yeah. when we raise this money, it means we have arrived, that there is a need for an open game console and there is support from gamers and developers alike. You are the signal to the world that this is what is wanted. Exactly. So, is it? What what kind of response has the Kickstarter gotten? Oh, well, it's been absolutely outrageous. <laughs> I mean, the support and the backing and, you know, people are talking about it and there's lots of posts and there's lots of news articles about it. And as we're recording this on uh, Wednesday afternoon, um, the Kickstarter ends today. Is it today? At the end of the day today? Um, close to that, yeah. It's, it's very close. They, they're in the last hours of it. And, and, and tell us, I know, Rhonda, you have the stats. Ten what, hours to go. Ten hours to go. Um, their go- the original goal was $950,000, and they're yeah. up to almost, what, $8 million now? Uh, they've already crossed $8 million. Oh, right. Right on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was on the Kickstarter site today for about 10 minutes, in ten minutes, the the the, the pledges changed sixteen thousand dollars. Insane. I mean, it's just if there's any indication of what the gaming community wants, this is yeah. a project that is that is demonstrating exactly where you know the new trend for the industry. This is this is what we're coming into. People yeah, want more she, flexibility. She has hit a a nerve, mm-hmm. and absolutely, I've always said. Gamers have money yeah. and they want to spend it, yeah. but that doesn't mean they want to get fleeced. Exactly, and and they then they want the flexibility. And they want a dynamic community. That's what brings people to gaming. <laughs> and, and she seems her team seems to have a passion for the gamer. Exactly, exactly. As opposed to as we will discuss in this episode, some of the bigger publishing houses that are really 
pushing for shareholders and for for um, for profits more more than the community and are you know take the community sort of for granted. We're creating yeah. this game; they're going to pay their sixty dollars to play it, so we can do whatever we want as long as you know we keep getting them to buy the games. And, and yeah. this is really focused on actually building a community and you know creating new ideas and and a really a new just a whole new ideology for gaming so well if you'd like to give us your feedback about Ooya, I'll, I'll get used to that name eventually because <laughs> there'll probably be one sitting in my house <laughs> sure uh, about be. the kickstarter Ooya or independent gaming or open source we'd love to hear about it you can leave comments on our website at gameongirl.com through twitter at game underscore on underscore girl email regina at GameOnGirl.com or on Facebook, Game on Girl Podcast. Coming up, we talk to gamers Mark and John about what's wrong with gaming publishers. The new sincerity, a secret vocabulary. You're listening to Game on Girl. I'm Regina here with my co-host Rhonda. Later on the show, we're going to share your responses to this week's Twitter question. But for, ma- for now, let me introduce our topic for today. Frequently on the show, we've discussed bad player versus player behaviors. What happens when women go online to game, well as when uh, guys go on to game, and how, how gamers don't always treat each other as well as perhaps they should. Today, we're actually going to turn the bad behavior around and look at some NPCs who treat gamers pretty badly. And those NPCs would be the game publishers. So we have a long list of gripes, uh, some that we've heard from you guys and some that we've heard from other people that we've talked to, including our two guests for today, about the impact the changes in the gaming industry have made overall to the game community and are taking advantage of gamers. So we're going to look at some of those issues today. We have with us Mark Ulrich and John Oglesby. Um, to discuss these negative trends. So, John, you're new to the show, so welcome to Game On Girl. Hi, thanks. It's nice to be here. We're glad to have you. Uh, Why don't you give us a little bit about um, your background and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I have a background in software development. I I test software currently. I've also been a programmer in the past. I... um, came to gaming probably later in life than most people. Um, actually, my first gaming was on a mainframe, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but seriously got into gaming hardcore probably in the last few years, bought my first console and whatnot. But uh, I've been in the periphery. Gaming has been there for probably 20 or 30 years now. So right that's on. kind of it. That's a, that's a good long time to be gaming. And we also have uh, Mark with us, and Mark is back. Actually, um, y- you have a very, uh, two very distinct uh, uh, notations that go with you on our show, Mark. Oh, yeah? What's that? Well, you got to be one of the first live interviews that we actually did on the show, and you're also the first person to come back for a second round. Oh, look at me. Look at one that. more and I have a hat trick. <laughs> So if you could uh, sort of recap some of your background for us today for for our listeners, that would be great. Um, As far as uh, employment and and such, um, basically I've worked um, in a lot of areas, um, mostly in the entertainment industry. The first 
decade of my my working life and then um, in uh, customer service and um, help desk and IT positions um, since then. Um, As far as my gaming goes, I have been a gamer pretty much my entire life. Um, I I remember playing Pong when it first came out. My uncle uh, was somebody who worked on um, the art, the stand-up arcade games, um, and would bring them home to repair. And, um, so oftentimes I got to be a play tester to make sure they were working right before they left his home. So I was playing things like Donkey Kong and Space Invaders and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, wow, awesome. I know, seriously. <laughs> It was. It was very awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, oddly enough, I never had a, a game console when they came out, um, but like all my cousins and friends did. So I was always over at their houses playing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and once I was able to afford a PC, got a PC and started playing on that and have never looked back. If you don't mind me asking, um, can you tell us what part of the entertainment industry you worked in? I actually worked in. Um, theatrical and concert um i oh yeah that's right yeah i mostly did lighting um um in those two arenas um but also did stuff like band gear and backline and dabbled in sound a bit but okay yeah i remember now (laughs) cool all coming back to us now Well, thank you guys. I'm glad that you're both here to join us today. So to get us started, um, today's episode is really to, you know, point fingers and name names. So let's just (laughs) dig into some of the problems we have. And so I'm going to start with Mark, and I'm going to say two words to you. Diablo (laughs) 3. Well, if you'll recall from the previous episode that I did with you guys. We kind of talked about that a little bit at the end of that episode and how you guys were excited about it and I just had this bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. And despite that, I still went out and bought it and God, am I sorry I ever did that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think um, I think, well, I think it's one, it's one game. Actually, it's the only game I think right now that all four of us have played. So, so all of us here have played Diablo 3. So I think that's a really good reason to start with Diablo 3 right now. So Indeed. So, what's uh, the uh, what's the gripe you've got, Mark? Or gripes? Or n- <laughs> hit the high points? <laughs> um, and keep in mind, we do try to keep the show to about an hour long. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, it boils down to this: um, it looks like Diablo three, and at first blush, when you're playing it, feels. Or I'm sorry, it looks like Diablo two, and at first blush, it. When you first start playing it, it feels like Diablo 2. And then once you get a little bit further into the game, you realize, no, this is not my Diablo. And I think the the big issue is is um, it's very much about cookie-cutter builds um, for your, your tunes if you want to get them up into the real high levels. Um, it's all basically wrapped up in trying to make money off of the real money auction house. And, you know, people were saying this online before the game was released, but basically, you know, it was a conflict of interest for them to have a real money auction house and be the game developers at the same time. Cause basically they held all the cards. They could, they could decide what things were worth and how often things dropped and where they dropped and all that sort of thing. And basically rake in the money based on, on that, Info and what they could do with it, 
Do you think there's a connection between these cookie cutter builds and the auction house? Yeah, in so much that you have to use one of these cookie cutter builds to be able to get high enough to actually farm the gear to actually put it up in the auction house to sell it. And once you start making it about making money, it stops being a game and people start doing serious things so that they can make more money at it, not just Blizzard. I know people that have played the game who've been banned for botting. And so basically they just lost a $60 you know, game license. Well, big deal. They made you know, hundreds of dollars selling items by botting. So what do they do? They just go out and buy another copy of the game. And right, they, they, don't, uh, they don't lose anything in the long run. Yeah, they, make, they keep making money. It's just a cost of doing business. So how is it that Blizzard is making money off the auction houses? Individuals can make money and Blizzard can make money? Yeah, Blizzard gets a 15% cut of okay. every sale that goes through their, their auction okay. house. Somewhat like Apple with the uh, App Store and whatnot. Whatever the developer sells, they get a piece of. Yeah, it's the same if you develop a game um, to be sold, like on the Xbox as well. The uh, Xbox and Microsoft will take a take a cut of a game that's on there as well. Well, I think it interrupted Mark in the middle of his list, so <laughs> I just uh, no. That was that was pretty much the 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 main points. But I mean, at the end of the day, um, it just looks like a money grab, uh, it, and not very well thought out or very well executed money grab for that matter right well, what do you think they did for 10 years uh <laughs> they did know, that's, a, that's a wild ass gas i know <laughs> but i mean you know i don't know <laughs> i have no idea what they did i think uh they probably had some of the original people left maybe um from from the game in the early in the early thoughts about doing a sequel um and i think they all kind of went away probably around the time that Activision came out, if not sooner than that. I, I don't know that for certain. There's, right. you know, that's just my feeling that I get from it. But, you know, I don't know what they did for 10 years. They had pool parties. I don't know. <laughs> as far as the auction house, Mark, do you feel like that the Blizzard is driving players to the auction house so that if I want to be a competitive player, if I want to get a build that can actually manage these levels that I have to buy stuff from the auction house because the drops just aren't there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If you, if you go on their forums, it, it isn't just me who's saying this. Um, that, that game has tanked, and they still have uh, people, you know, fanboys on there and, and people that they've hired to go on and say good things on their forums and other forums. But at the end of the day, you can tell that the game has tanked. Nobody I know who bought the game is still playing the game right. um, unless they're there to make money. No, and well, that, that includes everybody on this, <laughs> in this conversation right, right now. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask is, does everybody pretty much feel the same way about the gameplay? John? I do. I felt like I just kind of had to slug my way through and get to the point of killing Diablo. And then I was done. They made the game about a gear grind, which is what Diablo two was, was about also. But, I don't know. The way they, the gear dropped in Diablo 2 was much more exciting and frequent. Um, you know, you could have a set piece or a unique, unique item drop, you know, just in the first few levels that you played. You know, like your, your right. first few levels. Like up to level 10, you could have something really cool drop that was actually worth something to you that you would use for a while. Right. Now, granted, with a gear grind, it's always about getting to the next best piece of gear. Right. And so they tend to make things that drop for you be about the last 
10 levels that you play, not about the future 10 levels. But occasionally in Diablo 2, you would still have one of those really awesome drops that would happen that it was an upgrade for you at the time that you needed it in your, in your character's progression. Um, and I don't see that at all with Diablo 3. Um, I think Regina had, uh, what do they call them now? Legendary drops? Legendary. I think Regina had one legendary drop. Right. Um, and I was I the played, only one of all of us. <laughs> yeah, and I played many more hours than you did, and yeah. I never saw one. Yeah, and it was well, it was total luck too, because it wasn't even a boss that I dropped off of. It was a you know it was a mob outside a boss door. Right, and then going back to what John's original question, I think the way they have it geared now is is that you don't have anything worth a crap drop for you. Unless you know you're ten levels ahead, so what happens is is it forces other people to grind ahead in the game, and then they put that stuff up for sale. First, it was in the gold auction house, which is fine; I could handle that. But mm-hmm. then, once it got into the money aspect of it, um, it just seemed like they they were constantly nerfing and patching to to make it so that you had to go and buy stuff to be able to play the later content, the later difficulties, or or whatever you wanted to do. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask next because there were there were several patches that came out and updates to the game that caused some ruckus. And do you feel? I mean, I didn't even get that far so as that those updates mattered to me. But do you think that was all pointing toward this this grind in the auction house? Oh yeah. Patches? I- I completely feel like that was the case, and if you look out there at their forums and everywhere else, that's pretty much what the consensus has been. Um, if you go to the Diablo website on on Battle.net.com or Battle.net or whatever the hell it is, yeah. and you look at their front page, they have the top ten trending forum um, posts. posts, and up until today, I've been watching them pretty frequently. At least I'd go and look once a day or once every few days. You know, just I'm I'm morbidly curious at this point. I want to see if you know Blizzard is going to come out and say, you know what, you're right, we screwed up. <laughs> We're going to do a whole new patch of the game, and it'll make the game awesome, and you'll want to play it again. And of course, that's not happening. They're not even talking to their customer base. But if you went and you looked up until today, anytime you looked at those top ten posts, roughly fifty percent to up as high as 90% of those posts. There was always 10, so you know it's easy to come up with a percentage. It would always be negative. <laughs> so I, that, that tells you a lot uh, uh, about how people feel about this game. How, how the game community has reacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we want to make sure that our listeners realize that we are staying on topic because the subject here is not bad games. Right. The, the subject here is how publishers. game publishers are ruining gaming right? and for what reasons they're ruining it. And the, the gripes that we've got against Diablo 3 in gameplay, the, uh, what I've been trying to trace is, is directly related to the mistakes the publishers have made that have ruined the game culture for Diablo 3. It's right. not just that Diablo 3 is a bad game. Right, right. There's a re- there's a, a more intrinsic reason why Diablo 3 is bad. Right. There's the, these are active active decisions that are being made in terms of how the game is marketed, how the game is sold, and and how the gamers consume for lack of a better word, the game itself. 
and the gameplay. So, well, now, M- Mark, did you play WoW? I did. I played that for about four and a half years from the early part of 2005 um, and then on and off up until last year, actually. Yeah, around the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, and Regina, you said you just you flat out quit. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I did um, uh, three three or four months ago now. But I, I have a theory. <laughs> I have a D three and Wow theory that I'd actually like to run past you guys, especially yeah. since Mark is here. So, and I was talking to you about it yesterday as we were preparing for this episode. But um, one of the things uh, that Mark knows about D D three and about Wow was at BlizzCon last year in anticipation of D three coming out. Blizzard offered the opportunity to people who had WoW subscriptions to buy a year's advanced subscription to WoW. And with that purchase, that year's subscription, they'd get a free copy of Diablo 3. Yeah. And it was very tempting, as we know, because we, have, we Mark and I have friends who, you know, hopped right on that. They also got a special, what was a special mount, I think, right? Something... I don't remember at this point, to be honest. It was either a pet or a mount, or it might have been both. Anyway, it was some in-game thing to show that you had, you know, committed another year uh, from your pocketbook in advance, you know, before, you know, you weren't paying that monthly. You had to pay it outright. You had to pay for the year to buy the subscription. And so my my thinking, as, as we were prepping for this episode, and I was thinking about my own experiences with WoW, I did not go for the purchase the year subscription in advance, because I could already tell at that time that my interest was waning in terms of playing WoW anymore. I had gotten to a point where I had I had done everything I wanted to do personally in the game. When the Raid Finder came out, I was able to go in and raid for the first time because I had never played in a guild that had enough people to do you know, a 25-person raid. So I was able to actually go in and do that and get to the point where I could master that activity. I could go in and I could master those raids and I could do well. Not fantastic, but well. And so I knew that my interest was going to wane after that. The pull for D3 at that time wasn't strong enough for me to commit to another year of WoW to play Diablo for free. But I don't think that that was the intention. I think the reason why they pushed this edition of Diablo out when they did wasn't was to appease the the fans that they had that they knew had been waiting years and years and years for Diablo 3 to come out and to try to hook more people into that subscription for WoW, to keep them on the hook to, to, because they had to pay in advance for a year, not you know, you know, a year or a contract or something like that. They had to pay it outright to, to get that, to get the game for free. And so that's, that's my theory, that they pushed it out quickly, that they didn't spend enough time developing it, that they didn't spend enough time planning it, because it wasn't about that being a game on its own. It was really just about hooking the WoW players back in for another year's subscription. I think that's entirely possible. Um, I don't know one one way or the other, but I, I certainly think that isn't outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Generally, I mean, John and I, neither one played WoW, but our impressions from everyone that talks about WoW, I mean, this is a very long-standing game that people are committed to for you know months and months and months. Mm-hmm. So the game itself. Uh, apparently is successful. It's a good game, right? I think it was in the beginning. Right, um, I would say. I, mm-hmm. I definitely think that the first couple of expansions built on what made the game fun 
and you know worth playing for lengths and lengths of time. I think with Cataclysm and now Miss of Pandaria coming out, that uh, um, they're just they're they're pandering more and more to as wide an audience as they can, and as such, the things that made the game as good as it was are beginning to falter. And that may sound a little bit elitist or um, you know hardcore gamer speak, but that that's what it is you know i think that's i think that's where they're going wrong um i mean if you look at miss of pandaria uh it, the artwork looks like it's right out of kung fu panda the movie so it looks like they're trying to hook you know young kids into it now and on top of that there's a pokemon component to it where yeah, you can you, you know collect your, your pets. pets which you've always been able to do but now you can train them and and fight have them fight against other people's pets and it's just it's so obvious it, it's they basically they've jumped the shark <laughs> well, i mean that reminds me of some of the thing the issues that i was going to bring up oh, good. I, was, that, I was yeah i was going to call on you next <laughs> well it, it sounds like they, they've sacrificed quality for quantity mm-hmm. they just they they drop the level of the game development and they're just going for numbers yeah and that's what I feel like. I mean, my big thing, my big gripe right now is with EA over Battlefield 3. And I never really had a great time with the Battlefield or Modern Warfare games. I mean, they're sort of fun, mindless. You just get in there and you shoot people. Mm-hmm. But I had I had actually reached a point with Battlefield Bad Company 2 where I was enjoying it. But Battlefield 3 came out, and so the participation on the servers was dropping. So I ended up getting Battlefield 3, get on the current version. And almost immediately, EA and DICE switched to, instead of them managing the servers, they started renting the servers out to players. Those players were able to control the servers and create really bizarre rules. They could admin and they could kick players out for any reason that they chose. Mm-hmm. And it, it reached the point where you could not find an EA or DICE-controlled server to play on. All you could find were these rented servers. And so they fundamentally changed the game that I had bought. I buy a game, I spend 60 bucks on this game, and then within a month, they changed it into something else. Again, it was those rented servers, they're getting money from the players that want to control the servers. And making up bizarre rules like you could only use knives in a, in a war yeah. game. <laughs> and it was really bizarre. And to, there to, was a lot of backlash, but... Yeah, well, to be fair to, to what they're doing there, um, I don't know if you ever played uh, the original Medal of Honor or Call of Duty, but when those games came out, the publishers or developers didn't really have a server presence out there. Um, people basically took it upon themselves to run servers for the game. And a lot of them did do weird stuff like exactly what you're talking about. So I, that kind of goes back to the heart of what those first-person shooters were, were like when I was involved with them. However, like you said, it sounds to me kind of like a bait-and-switch. You know, right. you were expecting that you were going to be able to play the game that you purchased for $60 you know, in a in a quality environment, and instead, what you got was them basically giving that environment away to the highest bidder, and right. being at the at the mercy of those people that were that were willing to make goofy rules and such. 
Right. And I understand the whole concept of, you know, the servers, you know, it used to be that they were managed by players and, and whatnot, but they've removed or they had removed that ability in a lot of cases where, you know, you have to go through our managed servers. You've got to use our ID, you know, credential systems or whatever. And then I don't know. It, I felt like it was a bait and switch. I felt like I had bought one game. They turned it into something else almost immediately. And uh, well, I'm at the mercy of 12-year-olds. Yeah, it, it right. sounds like if you want the kind of gameplay, um, a, a certain type of gameplay, and you're not, it's not getting offered, and your options from the rented servers are limited, then that means you've got to put out extra money and rent your own server right. and set up the rules. And so to me, the, the, the solution to that would be that EA or DICE should have a separate set of servers that are managed by them where you can play the base original game. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Where where you where they would still provide the it, like John said, the game that you bought. So you so you could play that rather than the the, the player variations. And there was um I know that in this case Battlefield three there was a lot of backlash and EA Dice had to step up and take over some servers or at least, you know, reestablish some games, some servers that they were managing that you could go into and that you could get the basic rules. Again, not get booted by an admin just because, you know, you they, weren't his friend. They didn't want you there. Yeah. I, I you know, usually I, I can I can see some rational reason why a decision might have been made. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in this situation, I'm just like, what did they think they were doing? <laughs> What was the outcome they were looking for in making these choices and taking away the you know the service that allowed you to play the game as it was sort of intended to be played? Right, and again, they they continue to. Again, I'm fairly new to console gaming. Didn't get one until just a few years ago, actually. But the idea of buying a game and then almost immediately, in order to stay competitive, having to purchase additional downloadable content right. or you know, continually nickeling and diming the people that have already spent $60 on this game. Right. Uh, it's just, it's a frustrating experience. And it's one that's driving me back to older PC games and just the idea that, you know what, I will, I'll buy what I can buy on my PC and let the 12 year olds have the consoles. If that's <laughs> what they, if that's what the developers and the publishers want. Well, well yeah. can we point to, can we actually narrow down this, this kind of disease or whatever, or this decay to just hot console gaming? Mm, No, because we're playing Diablo on PC. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, so we can't, you know, we can't rule out the PC gaming as well. I do think though, because one of our questions that we have here is like, what, what's the industry doing wrong with online gaming? That's what I I think we're coming back to. I think that's what the, the theme I'm seeing from the conversation we've had so far come back to, the issues with forced online play and and with t- with taking a game like you used to be able to play Diablo 2 you could just play you know your game on your computer and you didn't have to be hooked up to the servers and you know how many of us would have been significantly less frustrated with that game the first week it was out if it wasn't you know mandatory to be on the servers that that, that weren't ready for the what 50 million people who bought the game or whatever it was so right yeah you know, mm-hmm. that's, I think, that's part of the problem. <laughs> I think going back to what Rhonda's saying, though, is I, th- 
I'm not 100% certain, but I think the DLC movement or trend really did start with consoles and started with yeah. the Xbox 360 and started with the PS3. Um, Wii, I think, I think that's where that movement really got some traction. And I think that DLC is okay if it's done right when DLC is not done right is when basically you end up having to play to or pay to win is what it sounds like um uh John was describing that you know in order for him to keep up competitively with other people playing Battlefield 3 he would have to go out and spend an extra five dollars every other month or two um to be able to get the new weapons pack or whatever that was you know significantly better than you know what was out previously and that everybody else had so I think that DLC, when it's done right, is nice. When it's not, it's, it's really nickeling and diming you right. and forcing you to play that game. Well, and, and forcing you to buy the content in order to play the game that you already purchased. And that was one of the things that, um, that we'll talk about later in the show, the feedback that we got on our Twitter conversation this week on this topic was that you know when when you have the disc and you buy the game and then you find out later that the disc has you know DLC on it that you have to pay mm-hmm. you know wow. you already bought the disc but you have to pay to get all the content on the disc that you did you didn't pay that originally when you when you paid you know like John said your 60 bucks to get the game you have to pay an additional to get you know more content that was already in the game yeah, and it's, was, you know that if we want to talk about like the abuse of 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 the gamers, that's like, can you imagine going to a bookstore and and buying your book, and then once you're like halfway through it or you know three quarters of the way through it, you get a call from the bookstore saying, oh by the way, you know the last five chapters of your book are here in the store. You're going to have to come get it in order to finish your novel. And it'll cost you five bucks. Yeah, and you have to come pay for it. No, exactly. You have to come pay another, you know, five dollars to come get the rest of your book. There would be it would be total anarchy. I mean, <laughs> you know. Well, let's let, let's be clear now that the DLCs are they actually preventing you from completing the game, or are they extending the game by adding chapters? I, I think well, there's a combination of both going on. From from what I understood okay. from the conversation on Twitter, both of those situations are happening. Okay. All right then. Yeah. And like going back to Diablo 3, the auction house, which is their money-making mm-hmm. scheme, if you don't go to the auction house and purchase items, then you're not going to be as competitive right. as a player. Yeah, so exactly. It's in order to play the game that you bought, you have to continue to spend money. Exactly. There's no way for you to go in and play and, and be competitive and get to, you know, uh, mastery levels of D3 without putting more money into the auction house to be able to do it. So let's go back again. We I think we started talking about the the trend of online gaming. What what are the issues that are being introduced through that movement? Because I mean, one of my complaints always has been I I bought a console game for social gaming, and I love the idea and. I always thought this is the way it worked is you could have, you know, a room of two to four people sitting with a controller playing a game together. And what they're doing now, correct me if I'm wrong, but even if I buy a game now, it may not have multiplayer on it. And so if I want to play with my friends, 
They have to be in their own homes, they have to own their own console, and they have to own their own copy of the game. game. And we don't even get to be in the same room together. So multiplayer is going away completely. And it's all online gaming, which to me is not nearly as much fun. Yes, you know, if I want to, I can meet online with my friends and play. Right. Fine. So there's that issue. And then there's also the issue where even now... The, apparently, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, they're, they're going to make it so you can't even buy used games now. They're, they're working at that now, yeah. And, and you have to have a code in order to be able to... They're, they're trying to do that. It's not yeah. going to work, at least not in Europe. Um, the EU has pretty much put the kibosh on that. So yeah. they'll, they'll try and find ways around it, I'm sure. But the EU has basically told them, no, <laughs> sorry, that doesn't fly here. <laughs> So um, to the online gaming then? The, the online games are going to have a one-use code. Like, for instance, Battlefield, I buy it. In order to access the online multiplayer, I have to use a code. If I sold that game through GameStop or whoever, you whoever purchased it, yeah. would have to pay an additional $15, I think is what it is, for Sony, okay. the for PlayStation code. Network, mm-hmm. in order to access it. Yeah. My, my big gripe with always online gaming is that uh, what if um, some yuts down the street you know runs into a, a pole or something and disables my my internet for you know a day or two or three or whatever um, back in the good old days there was a you know, I had a physical copy of the game and it didn't require me to play it online so I could still play my game even if my internet went down for some reason. And more and more, um, we're starting to see that they make it so that you have to be online to play a game. Um, now, with something like a massive multiplayer game, like WoW or SWOTOR or something like that, I get that. I understand that you you have to be online to play that game. And when I buy that game, I accept that and I understand that. You go in with that condition of gameplay. Exactly. But when it comes to something like, say, Diablo 3... The only reason that they want that online, they say it's so that they can monitor cheating and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fine, whatever, but let's call a spade a spade. It's really that they want to make sure that they always have access to you and you, them, so that if you decide you want to spend $200 on a virtual piece of gear, that they get their 15%. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and to me, that's not fair. I mean, if I pay $60 for a game and there's no reason that I honestly have to be online to play that game, then I shouldn't be forced to do that. Right. Um, because, again, what happens if my internet goes out for some reason, you know, and I still have power and I want to play the game that I purchased good money for, I should be able to play the game. Right. right. Or if you're on an airplane and you've got your laptop, you should be able to play. Exactly. It's, I find it ridiculous. It, 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 it makes me sad. I mean, I love <laughs> – one, one of the things I, that I love about online gaming is, is the bridges that it can create, like, you know. Mark used to live here, and Mark doesn't live where I live anymore, but we can still meet up and play online. And so we still get, you know, to talk and engage and and have our fun together because of the bridge that's provided from online gaming. Yeah. But but it's different when when the company takes a game that used to be, or or a game that was traditionally played one way, and and I can understand their, their desire to sort of have it progress or have the game progress 
but but then to take away your ability to be able to play it like you want to or to be able to play it independently of their servers, especially when their servers do nothing but cause problems for you, is... I, I, it just it just takes away that part of the of the gaming community, like like Rhonda was saying. We're looking at ma- many of us look at gaming as a social activity, and there is nothing like you know throwing Mario Kart in your Wii with you know right. your, your three other friends and everybody crashing and burning as you're running over the you know the the rainbow thing or whatever you know <laughs> that, or rock band or rock band or playing rock band together where everybody's doing rock band and everybody's you know there in the moment and you're all sort of enjoying and having a good time with what you're doing there's nothing that compares to that kind of gaming and making it obsolete is taking away a huge part of what compels people to game well and the idea of the the consoles and the the publishers themselves though they're they're actually compartmentalizing this right. because what what you're talking about when you talk about um, Mario Kart or Rock Band, you're talking about what they consider casual games, right? And they're they're shoving that all over to the Wii, right? Right. And what the what Sony and Xbox are wanting, uh, Microsoft are the hardcore gamers, and they're the ones that they're isolating, right? Well, well, and but I mean, you can still, I think, think you can still play. Um, Call of Duty, you know, with four people in the same room together. Yeah, but the, it's it's being weeded out. Yeah. Is is my thing? It's it's not, not that priority. it's non-existent. It's being weeded out. It's not a it's not a priority of play for how they're designing the games now. Right. I mean, it used to be that pretty much every console title was set up for multiplayers in the same room, and right. now it's more and more rare to find right. those type of titles. Right. Yeah, because console to me has always been a big social mm-hmm. um, way of playing games, and not social as in online, but literally, like you say, yeah. you know, everybody being in the same room. Right. Right. And I get the thought, the idea that you know, like you guys don't live in the same town anymore, but yet you're still able to play together because of online connectivity, and that's mm-hmm. great. But why, when you have options, why push everyone down the same path? Right. Because Sometimes you you know if people are in the same room, it's a lot more fun. You can trash talk, you can share snacks. You know, it's just a a different atmosphere. But you know, give people options. Right. Yeah. Don't ram it down our throats. Right. Don't don't exactly. make it required to to play that way, or required that you have to have your internet connection um, in order to play your game. I just want to remind our listeners that they're listening to Game on Girl, and we're talking to Mark and John, uh, gamers, and the four of us are kind of griping about the gaming uh, publishers. Um, well, I've got a particular gripe about um, PlayStation, okay. and maybe we can gear toward, um, toward the hardware end of it. Um, okay. If anybody thinks of anything else, they, they remember that this is definitely a fun forum to be able to finally gripe about this stuff. But um, unfortunately, I've mentioned several times on previous episodes that we recently lost all of our gaming history off of our PlayStation. And what it what has happened is it happened three different times. Um, two of the occasions, I am convinced, my, my swag on it was that the PlayStation claims that it will play 
Blu-ray disc, Mm -hmm. which is true. But if you stick a Blu-ray disc in my machine, my PlayStation 3, afterwards, the machine has horrible problems and it resets and we lose all of our data. That happened twice. The last time that it happened is after I had started Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 and I lost my um, FemShep. And we lost everything on the console, all of our gaming history. Well, it turns out that the hard drive had gone bad. Well, my complaint about this is the the machine is basically a computer, right. okay? It has a hard drive. It's got menu option. It connects to the Internet. The, the type of system commands that are required for this machine are are not astronomically technical or difficult. So why is it that they do not have anything set up to do an easier backup or a restore? When my, when my PC has a burp in CorelDRAW or it has a burp in Microsoft Word, it does not wipe my hard drive. Right. <laughs> so if Battlefield locks up or if Mass Effect locks up, which has happened, stuff like why does it wipe the hard drive? Why do you have to shut down absolutely everything? Why does the Blu-ray disc affect everything? Why is the hard drive not partitioned? And why is it that the user has to go to extended uh, movements uh, to do the backup? You have to physically plug in an external device to do a backup. Right. There's no there's no way to do like a cloud backup or a a or something like that. If you spend money and go with PS3 or PlayStation Plus and right. you get some cloud storage that way, but uh, but it's actually, not provided through just buying the system itself. Right. Um, actually, we have an external hard drive that's networked. It's network accessible. The PlayStation won't read; it will read from it, but it won't write to it won't because write to of the it. file uh, formats. Right. So, so you have to have a separate external hard drive that you have dedicated for the PlayStation, which is another what hundred hundred and fifty dollar expense in order to make your that's ridiculous, safe. right? Or right. otherwise, you have to stick in flash drives, USB right. flash drives, right. and the way that it saves, it saves everything with the same name. So if I'm saving my games, okay, they're, they'll all go onto one flash drive. But then, if I try to save Rhonda's games too, uh, it tries to save them to the same drive, to the same file same names. Oh, right. everything. So it's like it's a multi-step process. So a you, little sneaker net. Wow, that's see, that's just ridiculous. That we're, file management is something that's been tackled long time ago. Partitioning the hard drive. Right. I mean, th- th- to me, that's just laziness. Uh, no, it's. I think it's more about uh, being proprietary so they can mm-hmm. get more money out of you. Because that's, uh, that's the same thing that iTunes does with your MP3 files, where you have no idea what, you know, if you tried to download your music that you bought off iTunes into a different, you know, directory, you wouldn't be able to do it because all the names of the files are the same and aren't the names of the songs you have, so. And I understand your frustration, Rhonda, because um, I had a PS1, a PS2, and a Vio, and loved the products up until they all decided to die on me in the same year. Uh, and and I think 
the PlayStation 1 was only two years old at that point. Oh, the PlayStation 2 and the Vio were only about a year old. And so at that point, I finally said, mm, no more Sony. Yeah, I mean, our PlayStation 3 had its first failure within the first six months. And then about a year later, it did it again. And then I just recently actually replaced the hard drive. And I've had it for about two and a half years. And I can argue that we use it a lot. The hard drive is running pretty continuously. But I've had laptops and desktops that have run for much longer periods of time and never had issues like mm-hmm. that. Built-in obsolescence. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they just, they yeah. just want them to die, so you have to buy more. I, 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 can't, I keep coming back to that same thought as well. If, if it's the... the you know the shareholders that they're trying to make happy. Then, then they make the product so that it's not what what we expect our our PC to be, or what you know it's not protected in that way. So that you do. So when it dies, you do need to buy a new one. Then that's that's what they're what they're hoping and they're banking on. Right, and but kind of Ill. <laughs> even even going with price comparisons, I mean the the PS3 is a what a three hundred dollar device, two fifty somewhere around in that range. And you're thinking, okay, well, you bought $200 worth of hardware. What do you expect? It's not an $1,800 right, PC. Right, right, yeah. But my mom, actually, I bought her a $200 e-machine from Best Buy about six months before I bought my PlayStation. And her machine is running fine. Right. So are we ha- is anyone having the same problem? Does anybody have an Xbox? I have an Xbox. And how, are, how does that work? Um, well, I, to be totally honest, I, I spend very little time gaming on my Xbox now, um, mostly because... I, I moved away. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's all Mark's <laughs> fault. <laughs> um, I, I, I actually have dumb thumbs. I can't, I can't work the... I can't play like shooters on the Xbox. Um, oh, okay. I will, I will admit this publicly now. Um, that's not where my skill set is. I spent the vast majority of my, my life being a PC gamer. I'm perfectly comfortable, you know, shoot, shooters and whatnot with a PC gamer. I bought Dragon Age Origins uh, on the Xbox right after I got it. And I was about 40% through the game. It, it gave me a headache. I mean, I have a huge TV, but it gave me a headache to play it on um, the Xbox because the type was so small and I had so much reading I had to do. Oh yeah, that it. I would have to squint to to read half the time, that, and there's lots of dialogue and lots of dialogue choices in that game. And so, but I was about forty percent of the way through it, and my hard drive crashed, and I lost all my progress on it. And at that point, I had been so kind of lackluster about playing it in that format, I just gave up playing it entirely. And the vast majority of time now, my Xbox is used as my entertainment center, where I have you know. Netflix and um, Hulu Plus and those things on it, so I can go in and watch TV on it, and that's that's primarily, you know, what I use it for this time. That and we have a one dollar game that we bought that I just have <laughs> to give a shout out to because it's it's one of the most fun games. Mark's played it, isn't it? A blast. It is a blast. <laughs> it is totally a blast. It is a dollar, and it is um, it's called I Made a Game with Zombies in it. 
Oh, <laughs> that's the name of the game. It's a twin stick shooter. And so with one of your, you know, your joysticks, you're moving across the screen. And with the other, you're rotating your, your little zombie hunter. And it has different kinds of zombies. And it's got, you know, this different levels that you go through. And it's, it's a very finite, very short game. But you can have four people play it. And it's very much an arcade. Just we hop in and play it a couple of rounds. And we have a blast playing it. And everybody laughs. And there's different guns and things you can get, like, you know, rocket launchers and flamethrowers and cool you just you just jump in and have a blast and it cost a dollar and it was an indie game it's not produced by anybody you know it's not produced imagine i know right and and it's the (laughs) one game well that and and plants vs zombies that i continue to go back to on the xbox where i have friend my friends come over for game night and everybody's like we have to play the zombies we have to play the zombies and that's that's the game that they're talking about is this one dollar game you can get and i'll i'll you know put a link up to it because seriously for a buck it is the best value you can get on your Xbox, according to, you know, Regina at Game On Girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this is part of what makes me sad because I really like console gaming. I like Mm -hmm. PC gaming too, but the... there was so much frustration that we had when the PlayStation died. Mm -hmm. I feel very lucky that John was able to replace the hard drive because he said, I'm never buying a Sony PlayStation again. And I, Mm -hmm. I was incredibly sad because... I don't mind moving to PC gaming, but I love playing on the console as well. It, it for some reason, gave me a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me a long time to get used to the controller, but I've I've got it now, and I really really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So... Well, and that was to go back to, you know, themes that came out of your original interview when we when I did the the dissertation research. The the sense of freedom was a really important aspect of gaming for you. Yeah, and always has been. So, it, it, yeah, yeah, it pre- gaming in general mm-hmm. presents a lot of that and I I love being disconnected from my desk. Right. And sitting on the couch playing a right. game that right. that just makes me feel that much more connected to a real world instead of a computer. Right, instead of a screen. Hmm. So, we 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 seem to have a theme going on and the uh, it seems to always keep Keep coming back to money. Now, mm-hmm. there, there are a couple of things here. In my opinion, I have no problem with anyone having a successful business and making money. Uh, number two, I think gamers and geeks alike, they have money to spend and they obviously want to spend it. Right. The game publishers, obviously, are wanting to make money. So what's the problem with the money? Corporate greed. <laughs> it's it's not enough for a corporation to make money. Um, to give you an example, outside of the gaming industry, I saw a headline, I think it was a week or two ago. The headline read something along the lines of, Apple is only going to make eight point some odd billion dollars this last quarter, and, and <laughs> they they didn't meet meet their their goals. Um, let's get real here, folks. That's not oh an God. only number. That's right. that's a huge number. Right. Right. <laughs> um, any anybody who made eight point some odd billion dollars in a quarter Ever. would be happy. <laughs> but. Big corporations have shareholders, and shareholders are not happy unless they're making X amount of dollars. And 
I think it, this goes back to what John was saying and what Regina and I were saying previously is that the game publishers have put the the cart before the horse in that um, they're more worried about making money for their shareholders than they are about making a good game for their their customers. And if they understood that if they make a good game for their customers, then they would make plenty of money for their shareholders. So is it a huge leap then financially for the publishers to be satisfying the customer more? Is is that more financially um, crippling for them than to do it the way they're doing? I don't think so. Um, because if, if you look if you look at indie gamers or indie gaming companies that are making games, um, some of the most fun I've had in the last year or two playing games have come from indie games that um, I've purchased on Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, these are games that had you know next to no budget compared to a AAA um, yeah, game. gaming publisher. Right. And yet the games were much more interesting, much more thought out, had you know just better all around um, gameplay and were innovative and you know just had this power to draw you back in and play over and over again. And they did that on a, a fraction of what AAA houses are doing. Um, I think if they let if it let if Activision Blizzard let Blizzard go back to being what Blizzard was about their last two and their upcoming releases wouldn't be crap. Right. <laughs> and That's what I was thinking if, <laughs> if they spent the creative capital mm-hmm. that they spent on trying to make the auction house work if right. they had invested that back into the game and making it playable right. we would all still be playing it we would all be talking about it, and right. people would still be putting out sixty bucks to buy the game yep. instead of whatever bit they're getting on the auction house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if they had, even if they'd kept the same exact gameplay from Diablo two mm-hmm. and and just upgraded the graphics, right. I would yeah. be enjoying the game more. Yep. That is exactly a point I've been making yep. to many of my friends out there, Rhonda. In that it seems like Blizzard has got it all wrong. If you look at they have, you know, basically three major franchises that they run. They have the Warcraft franchise, they have the Starcraft franchise, and they have the Blizzard franchise. And the last two of those franchises to get updates, they did it back asswards. If if you look at Starcraft one to Starcraft two, basically it's the same game with updated graphics. And for an RTS fan, and I consider myself one, um, to me, that wasn't enough, especially when you have um, other games that came out um, within four or five years of StarCraft One that did huge leaps in the genre. Um, Rise of Nations is one, and then uh, right behind Rise of Nations was Dawn of War, um, and then right behind Dawn of War's Company Heroes, which is basically the same engine and the same company. But they did um, mechanics inside of the game that really, to me, made the game much more interesting and fun to play. And I, when people were talking about StarCraft II, I fully expected that Blizzard would implement that into StarCraft II. And they didn't. It was basically a reskin of the original game. And I thought, well, how dumb is that to have other games that have come along since your, first per- or since your RTS that are, you know, awesome and that people you know acclaim all over the place and then to come out 
10 years later or more and basically have the same game with just prettier graphics. I mean, yes, they've got some different units in the game, but they're basically amalgamations of previous units in the game from the original StarCraft. And conversely, if they had released um, Diablo 3 as basically a reskin with a little extra content compared to what Diablo 2 was, they would have had it. People would have been happy. I would have been happy playing it. Um, yeah, you guys would have yeah. enjoyed it. It would have been great. But they right. didn't do that. Right. So even I mean, if the, all they even if all they did was come out with a male and female version of each character <laughs> and upgraded the graphics, I would have thought, God, Blizzard is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they're not doing that. And it seems like everything that they've done since um, they were acquired or or merged with Activision has gone 180 degrees the wrong direction. Um, so it, 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 it basically, to me, says, hey, look, Activision, huge corporation, comes and acquires Blizzard, and suddenly Blizzard's last two you know, major franchise um, suck. And I'm pretty sure that Miss of Pandaria is going to suck, too. I mean, just the premise alone of what they've said makes me go, nope, not interested. And I'm not the only one. I see lots of other people out there in, in the interwebs okay. saying the same thing. They're, they're, they're not impressed. They're not interested. And I think that the same thing can be said for um, BioWare um, under EA's oversight um, seems to have had some... EA's seem to, seem to have caused some sort of malfunction in the way BioWare does things. And I don't play enough Bioware games recently to to really definitively say one way or the other if that's the total issue, but it seems to me that's the, the general vibe that I get online. Well, I, I want to pitch an idea to you guys. Um, I mean, we're, we're probably getting to the point where we should be wrapping up, but I, I just had this idea as we were talking and, and thinking about the game industry and, and E3 and watching you know what's coming out and the push to to continue with franchises like, um, you know, whatever game three or whatever that the call of duty or whatever, you know, the, the multiple versions of, of the different games and the push to constantly have new games, new products. Do, do you guys think that perhaps that push for innovation and that push for change? Cause that's essentially what both Mark and Rhonda have said right now about, the problem with D3 was that they had a great game with D2 and if they would have just updated the game that they had that everybody loved and played for years, if they would have just updated it with graphics, characters, etc. and allowed people to play it the way that they wanted to play it offline and you know on their computer, not necessarily having to be on a server. Do you think that the innovation is part of the problem here? That that push to constantly have something new and different and exciting and engaging is part of what's sort of tanking the game industry right now. Um, so, you think so? I, I, I can agree with that in the sense that if if you don't have an idea, then it's okay. You don't you don't just create something just right. to create for the sake it, of creating like, it, right? Yeah, and I think I think there's some of that case. And I know going back to beat on EA for a little bit of. Uh, they continually, you know, they've got multiple titles with the Battlefield series. They've got multiple titles with their sports series. How many ways can you kick a soccer ball? You know, right. I mean, 
that's a little, you know, that's minimizing. Yeah, it's exaggerating it a little bit. Yeah. But still, they, they keep repeating the same things and just keep every year they come out with these these titles. And it reminds me of authors that I used to like. I, I used to read Stephen King. And I don't know, I was probably on about my eighth or ninth Stephen King novel, and I realized he's got a formula. Right. And it's like, once, I, once I've seen once, the formula, yeah. I can't unsee it. <laughs> once the veil and, is lifted, <laughs> once the yeah, curtain's raised. And I, yeah. I could never enjoy his books again. Yeah. And I've, I've had several authors that were that way. They're just like, wow, now I see the pattern, and I just can't read this stuff anymore. That's John, that and was that's, what happened to John Irving for me. I never yeah. I to go back to him and, again. I'm like, all right. And the games, I think, are the same way. If you don't have any Thing new creative to add then wait until you do right i think that uh you're spot on to a certain degree i think um the same thing can be said for you know the entertainment industry at large as far as mm-hmm. like tv and movies goes especially yeah. movies that's why all you see nowadays coming out right. of hollywood is for right. the most part sequels rehashes. or yeah. uh, or, or rehashes of movie, right? um other original movies uh, mm-hmm. it, it it basically goes to the big yeah. corporation they yeah. want to make sure that they that they make x amount of money out of a movie and to do that they have to play it safe and the best way to play it safe well let's give them more of what they liked last time let's do the same thing again yeah but 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 i'm also saying that that sometimes it's okay to do the same thing again like like sometimes you don't need to completely tank and change the game in order to to make people engage to play it like you said had d3 been more like d2 the four of us who you know i'm i know we're taking a biased sample here but the four of us would still be playing it well, I think all the real fans of right. Diablo 2 would actually still right. be playing Diablo 3. So, so there is some, there's definitely, you know, we definitely need new things, but sometimes keeping with what's working isn't necessarily a bad thing. I guess that that would be, you know. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think I think the the difficulty is 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 knowing what parts right. of it to innovate. Right, exactly. Um, it's the same way with the movie sequel and I'm I'm glad Mark brought it up because I was thinking the same thing because you guys mentioned the independent game. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the name of it again? Uh, I made a game with zombies in it. Right. The when the the public gets sick and tired of the crap that the publishers put out, whether it be movies or books or uh, music and now games, right. the the customers begin to develop their own and you start seeing a, a surge of independent. Right. The, the same thing happened with movies. It's been quite a while, but there, all of a sudden there were independent films and you right. had the Sundance Film Festival. Right. Well, uh, unfortunately, now that's gotten all corrupted in Hollywood because everybody was going there. Right. But th- that's what's going to end up happening. Gamers are smart, mm-hmm. and if they don't like what you're putting out, they'll make something of their own. Right. And you're just you're just going to lose customer right. after customer after customer. Or, or they'll um, do, you know, like Mark and I were. T- Mark was saying, you know, we've been playing indie games. You know, we, yes. we're going to games Dungeon that, Defenders, Dungeon Defenders, which I've talked about many times on the show, is one of my new favorite games to play. So Terraria, you know, Terraria. You know, these games are are coming out of small, you know, small houses, small independent houses, and they're innovative because they can can be and, and right. you know they're not trying to live up to some title that came before they just are what they are and then they get to be fantastic so and that's what's so ridiculous it's like we want 
to give you our money. Right. We do. Right. We want to give it to you. We're sitting here with pocketfuls waiting to buy your games, right. but we will. We we are smart enough. Right. We are not going to keep buying crap. Right. We're we're going to be you know discerning enough to not necessarily. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to live by a new rule. Um, I'm, I think I've come to the conclusion I'm not pre-ordering anything ever again. And <laughs> probably I'm going to wait until, you know, a month or so after it, it's released. It's tested, because, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not going to play the hype game anymore. Yeah. It, it's burned me too many times in the last year, and yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'd like to thank both Mark and John for being on the show today, because I think this has been a really... Um, vibrant discussion, and and I think we made some really good points. Did you guys have any uh, closing comments you wanted to make? Go ahead, John. No, I, I enjoyed being here, enjoyed talking about it, and uh, I'll listen in next time. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I got I got carried away, and I wasn't even looking at the the time to close the show out. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I um, just want to say that uh, we all need to stop start being more discerning yes. and not buying into the hype, especially from big houses like Blizzard and EA. Um, I think if they make a crappy game, I think we need to go out there and uh, let them know about it and be as vocal about it as possible you know, if, yeah. we, if we're unfortunate enough to have bought it um, in the first place. But, you know, we need to, we need to start taking them to task. And I think to a degree... Um, that's been happening with EA a little bit with mm-hmm. the Mass Effect 3 thing. And then I think there was, uh, I think John mentioned something also about uh, Battlefield 3. Right. Blizzard still thinks they're bulletproof and won't answer for anything. No, um, no. Yes. That, that'll have to change pretty soon. And then the other thing is, is everybody needs to start buying and supporting indie games a lot yeah. more. Yeah. We start doing that, then we'll show um, the big houses that um, innovative ideas can and right. do work. Yep. Absolutely. Good. Well, we really appreciate our guests today, uh, Mark and John, for joining us. And we uh, we feel very cleansed. Our oars are all now cleansed. We've done some griping. Until next time, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, we would love to hear your feedback on this topic. Um, we imagine that there are plenty of gamers out there who, who could put their two cents in worth, and we love to hear it. And uh, we love to share that feedback. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or on our website at gameongirl.com. You can email Regina at gameongirl.com or you can follow us on Facebook at Game on Girl Podcast. Why do you say- This is Game on Girl. I'm Regina here with my co-host Rhonda. This week's Twitter question was, what do you think is having the biggest negative impact on the gaming industry? So what do we got from this conversation, Rhonda? Well, basically the Twitter responses were very validating, at least in a lot of our conversation today. Absolutely. I wasn't part of the Twitter thread this time, but the responses surprised me because it's pretty much what we talked about. Yeah, it really was. Um, And they were completely separate. I was doing the Twitter conversations on a completely different day than we did the recording. So it's interesting that they lined up so, so completely. Parallelogram Prime at iMoritachi said, one, 
I've noticed that games are losing local multi- multiplayer options. I grew up playing split screen on Nintendo 64. I miss the experience. Two, all of the crazy software and apps that go into consoles. They're becoming something they shouldn't. It's nice, but distracting. Xbox is so full of extra things and menus. I miss the simplicity of old consoles. You know, I'm not quite sure I agree with the multi-purposing of gaming consoles because I love being able to get my Netflix mm-hmm. through the PlayStation. But I also know that any amount of additional features, air quotes, on a console is a way to affect the pricing. And I honestly, outside of Netflix, I just don't use any of the features. Yeah, I I think that's one thing that that I find sort of complicates. I I also agree with, I I love having my Netflix and I have Hulu Plus on, on my Xbox. And... I love having those those features because it means that I can just turn on one thing and, and I can do everything with the Xbox that I you know that I, I used to need multiple um, devices for. Right. So so I very much appreciate the the streamlining of that. Um, I would, however, love if Xbox would have Pandora on it, but that's a whole nother probably conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, and Ouya is supposed to have a uh, radio on it. Nice, yes. So, see, so we're heading in the right direction with uh, <laughs> with the new things that are coming out. But I, I see the, I know the point that she's making. I, w- I was actually really bent out of shape when they did um, a recent update on the Xbox and they changed the menus so that um, you have a specific, you have like the, the beginning menu, but you also have like a videos menu and a games menu and a music menu. So you have to add, like page through all of them. And you used to be able to just get to everything from the first, you know, page mm. that you sort of came up with on the on the main menu. You could get to everything. And as it turns out, after you, you've used it for a while, it will say, you know, recently played or whatnot. And you can just go down there and then you can get to whatever you're using. So you don't have to cycle through everything the way that I had first been doing. So mm. so it, it, it ended up being, a, a, you know, better. But I was still like, oh, I don't really want to have to page through videos and games to get to, you know, put music on or whatever else it was I wanted to do with it. So the menus can get tedious. It can get distracting and take away from, you know, the games that are sort of offered on it. So I can see a little bit of that. Well, I can also agree with the um, idea of multiplayer. It mm-hmm. was brought up several times. Mm-hmm. Dave Snell at Burton C. Bogan agreed with uh, Parallelogram Prime saying, I love online gaming, but I'd like to sit with a mate and play too. In addition, he says, also the new trend, a la BF3, I imagine that's uh, Battlefield 3. Yes. Um, of requiring an online license to even play on some on the same Xbox. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is the, the whole thing of game publishers seem to be losing sight or losing contact with the gamer and gaming culture itself. Mm-hmm. Online gaming to me is not adequate enough to satisfy uh, the main component of gaming, which is socialization. Right, right. Making that social connection and, and actually gaming with people. As you mentioned in this episode, we we're talking about in this episode, that you really like the times when it's everybody sitting in the same room and you're watching people's expressions and you're seeing people's body language as they're playing, all the things that playing online tends to take away from you. Um, and as we also mentioned 
too in the in the interview with John and Mark that you know forcing people to play online is is becoming a problem as well or where you're requiring it and it's not working and it's not supported by the servers and and all the different sort of complications that that end up going into this process from the game industry and you know Honestly, maybe they're not concerned with the fact that gaming views itself and gamers view themselves as a community. Maybe that's not an issue for them. Maybe they just don't care. You know, all they're really caring about is their profits. And if, you know, they're wanting to make sure you buy two licenses so you can play on the same Xbox, that that's their priority. Yeah, and and that's why um, Ouya has eight million dollars. <laughs> exactly why Ouya has because $8 they dollars. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a couple of um, other additional comments to your question. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Scarrett at Armchair Analyst points out gaming fatigue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he says generational fatigue, price point stagnation. And difficult economic times all are problematic for uh, the video game sector currently. Interest is declining. Plus, saturation is occurring as most consumers who want a console already have one. I can actually see PC gaming building a bit for the next generation while console sales pull back. Mm -hmm. I agree that PC gaming might be on the rise. In fact, it probably is on the rise, especially with the presence of Steam. Mm And uh, like Star Wars, The Old Republic, right. but I, probably not for the reason that he's saying. I I don't think that the market necessarily is saturated with console games. I I think those people are are looking for continuing to look for just good games. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, people are still, but 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 I think he does have a point about if you if you wanted a console. Like I waited to buy an Xbox for many years. I mean, Xbox had been out for six or seven years before I bought it. Um, I only finally got in- inspired to buy it because the Kinect was part of it. So I waited until the Kinect came out okay. to buy it so I could have it. And that was essentially what they wanted to inspire people to, to buy it again, which is why you know they created the Kinect in the first place. And so it got me into a market I wouldn't have necessarily been into. I had the Wii previously, and the Wii is what we have a rock band on, which is a really big social game for, for me and my friends. So I had had that, and, and I really wanted the I really wanted Dance Central. That was that was what sold oh, yeah. me for Connect. Yeah. And so you know, but I but I wasn't in the console market until I went to my first PAX and I saw the Connect in action, and I'm like, that needs to be in my living room. And so it's it's that kind of, and that's a new innovation. I mean, the Kinect, you know, I'd use the Wii and I'd use the motion controls with the Wii, which are okay, but, you know, not fantastic. You know, I'd use those, but, you know, I saw the Kinect and I'm like, oh, wow, this is really taking it to the next level. And and that's what the consoles will have to do. They'll, they'll have to continue. Mm-hmm. If they're going to continue, if they're going to continue to keep a market share, they're going to have to to take whatever they're doing, and, and bump it up to the next level. And Wii is trying to do that with um, the Wii U, the new controller that they're having come out for the Wii. It's not a new Wii. I, at first I thought it was a new, um, a new console itself, but it's not. It's a new controller that will you know, work with your Wii that you already have, and it has a touchpad on it, very similar to what some of Ouya is doing. 
Oh, wow. So they're trying to, that's how they're trying to get. So you can play more casual games because you can use a, a touchscreen pad on the Wii U to play oh. some of the games like you would on your phone or your, your tablet or however you play those mm-hmm. kinds of games. So, so they're trying to sort of invigorate it with that, I think. So. Yeah, I thought that was interesting um, that how Ouya was d- redesigning the game controller from the ground up, mm-hmm. and I noticed uh, a touchpad, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. that's a good idea." Yeah, and the placement of it, I think, is really fantastic for the, the where the touchpad is going to be. I think is really good, and I think it looks it looks. I mean, it's just you know uh, drawings right now, but they look really. It looks like a very natural controller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, rule two at rule underscore two underscore brings up an issue with Internet media saying, I think it's mostly the YouTube community. Everyone thinks they're a critic and they know best. People blindly follow them. They see the uploader's perspective as more than it should be. I don't take reviews seriously. I guess I don't take YouTube comments or reviews at all. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never found them helpful at all. I yeah. never read the comments. Yeah. Um, I use YouTube a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I've never used them for um, reviews unless they're from valid sources. Right. But what kind of impact is Rule Two talking about here? Well, I think I think there. I, it's an interesting idea. Um, you know just the basic idea that the internet and YouTube and sites like YouTube allow pretty much everybody to put their opinions out on anything. And that's a part of what I talk about when I teach composition, uh, yeah. right? Okay. You, you have to be really careful and you have to consider your sources on online. And, and I think that that's true in the YouTube community just as much as it is anywhere else <laughs> in any kind of written, you know, you might find somebody who, who speaks to you or who has similar experiences to you and you go on and you see their gameplay videos or them talking about playing or doing a review. And it might, it might enlighten you to what it's, what it's like to play that game. It might engage you and it might not, you know, you, you, right. but you have to be a, a, you as a user have to be, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm blanking on. Um, informed. Informed. <clears throat> aware. Aware. And, um, oh, God, it's uh, condescending is Dis- keep coming to my mind, but that's not the word. Discerning. Discerning, that's the word. Thank you. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. What Thank do I win? Thank you. Yay. My undying gratitude, as always. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a dis- discerning, um, geez, what is with my words today? Consumer? A, yes, a discerning consumer of, of whatever, of, of what games you're playing, of what media you're taking in. Um, right. I've found, I, I've been checking out a few channels on, um, on Stitch Twitch TV where I watch people as they're playing. And, you know, I found it really helpful because sometimes people know things about the game that you don't know. But yeah. th- that's watching somebody play, not necessarily watching someone review a game. Right. Where they're saying, you know, or editing in and doing some kind of polished review. This is actually watching people in, in game as they're, you know, in motion with it. And that I find to be, um, to be more interesting just to see the different ways that people jump in and play games. So, Yeah. Well, the, the we keep coming back to this, and I I'm, I think it's a, it's time I reiterated um, something in particular. Um, we we keep seeing, especially in responses, and we see this with the Facebook responses to this particular question too. Yeah, exactly. Resoundingly, they chose that the 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 most negative impact on the gaming industry today is corporate greed. Right now, I have personally. 
I have no problem with people making money. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I would love to be filthy rich. <laughs> I, I love the idea that we live in a country where an individual can uh, create a business and make money and set them up with a, a good lifestyle of their own. Right. Um, I love the freedom of creativity, the freedom of speech. I have no trouble with this. Um, I have no trouble. I, be- I believe these companies have the freedom to make these choices. Right. It's just that the other other side of that coin is the consumer has the choice to not choose them. Right. Exactly. exactly. If you're not delivering, it's it, again, it, it, we we've got the money and right. we have the freedom to spend it the way we want. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, when we get fed up with you, we will not give you our money. Well, exactly. And if, if you take our interview t- from today and our conversation between you and me and John and Mark, and, and you look at us as it's just a very small, you know, I, I will agree we are small, you know, percentage of, of whatever gaming demographic. But my guess is all of us are going to be hard pressed to ever buy another Blizzard game. Oh, yeah. Right. After D3 and after what's happened with D3 and how we all felt about it and how we felt about their changes, you know, they've alienated at least us as a section of their their population. And you can guess that our experiences aren't that different from other people's. So, Correct. And you know what? It, it is extremely difficult, but act- actually the ultimate value of a product to have customer loyalty, exactly, exactly, and devotion, and I to mean, keep it, yeah, absolutely, and and how and devote and gamers are very devoted, just in general. I mean, yes, we engage in the story, and and because of the nature of gaming, because you're interacting with the media. You know, I went last night and I got to see the new Batman movie, which I enjoyed, although I thought some of the monologues were a little long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> And I enjoyed it, and I, you know, I had a great experience um, watching it. You know, I but I don't, I don't leave it feeling the way I leave finishing a great game, where I feel like right. I've, I've contributed, and I have some sort of satisfaction that I've gotten from, from that experience itself. It, that just doesn't exist for me in, in that in media consumption, and because I think the majority of gamers feel that way, I think that the industry should be paying more attention to that. Yeah, I mean, you've got a you've got a consumer base that not only loves your games mm-hmm. and is loyal to the company mm-hmm. and th- not just loyal to the characters or the game itself, but these are people that are dressing up like their characters at cons. Right. They're making mashup videos. They want to buy your t-shirts and right. your buttons exactly. and your posters. Yep. Uh, I mean, wall decals, you right. name it. Right. These are these are the kind of consumers people beg for. Exactly. Exactly. So don't abuse them. <laughs> yeah. Just stop it. So knock it off. <laughs> yeah. So that that's my always my big qualifier. I have nothing. I have no problem with money, but I also am a penny pincher, and I'm not going to throw my money away. Right. Right. So we're we're cool. You know, I, I think well, that one of the themes we should just sort of wrap this episode up with is is be discerning, you know, now that Rhonda has yeah. provided me with the word I needed. Be discerning consumer, both of the media that you see online and of your games as well, and and send the message that way to, to the industry. 
Well, every week on Twitter and Facebook, we ask a new question, and we'd love to have your opinion. We might share it on our next episode. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl, and we use the hashtag GOGChat. You've been listening to Game on Girl. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. You can also read my tech blog at droolonthefrog.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. Many, many thanks to Mark Ulrich and John Oglesby for helping us vent about the industry we care so much about. Because really, people, an episode like this comes out of love. <laughs> it does. And appreciation and admiration, because we do love the gaming, and we really want the best for our, our community. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. Those links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, gameongirl.com. You can also leave comments and feedback through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or email us at regina at gameongirl.com. This podcast is recorded with Audacity and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, game on.